together for a few moments, and I'd like you to stand as we read the Word of God. It says this. Let's read this all together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Father, thank you for truth. Your word is truth. We live in a world where everyone has their truth. And it's the God of secularism. I don't want human truth. I desire your truth. So Holy Spirit, illuminate truth to us. That way we are illuminated with truth. We are brought to a place of recognition of what you're trying to do in our lives, to embrace what you say to us, not with fear, not with stubbornness, but with joy, because it's not just information. It's designed to bring transformation, and we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We're finishing up a series about the favor of the Lord, and there are five blessed benefits God listed for us in this passage. Divine forgiveness, divine health, divine redemption, divine crowning, divine satisfaction. What does it mean when God satisfies you? That's the fifth and final one we're going to work with today. David is reminding himself to not forget all the benefits that God has provided. And he lists five of them, forgiveness, health, redemption, crowning, which means reigning over sin and death in our own lives, which is authority. That's what the crown is about. And now this week's theme, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen? So there are four questions to pose and then answer about the topic or subject of satisfaction, divine satisfaction. Number one, what is satisfaction? The old rocker group used to try to find it, but couldn't find it and could not get any satisfaction. They <laughs> tried and I tried and I tried, and there's the story. You will try and you'll never get it. Not the way the culture indicates. We can take our English definition and try to find ways to look at it from that perspective. But the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, so we need to look at the Hebrew meaning of the term we call satisfaction. Satisfaction in the Hebrew means to be made full, on the verge of overflowing, so full. See, God wants to satisfy you with good things, so you're brought to the verge of overflowing. So full you're on the verge of being exhausted by the fullness. It's like some of you when you've gone to the all-you-can-eat buffet. You leave satisfied, but to the point of overfilled. It says satisfies. God satisfies your mouth with good things. Your mouth. It doesn't say satisfies your heart. Even though we know out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Hmm. So we conclude, conclude that this verse does tie into matters of the heart. What is in your heart comes out of your mouth. 
It doesn't say who satisfies your soul. It says who satisfies your mouth. So this Hebrew word is rather unique. It isn't used very often. It's used, the word for mouth is used in the Old Testament 13 times. It's only translated two times as related to the mouth, like we use the term mouth. 11 out of the 13 times, it's translated in a very strange way. In those 11 out of 13 times, it's translated ornaments. Ornaments. Hmm. It's very perplexing what the word actually means in the Hebrew, horse mouth ornaments. So our English word for this is bridle. And a bridle has a bit attached to it, for those of you that ride horses. And some of the bridles used for show horses, they would specifically be very ornamental. Fancy carvings and texturings on the bridles for the show horse mouth. A bridle has a bit, and with it that, in that bridle, because you control that horse, and if you can control the mouth of that horse, you can control the very powerful body of that horse. That's the exact same thing that James is referencing in the New Testament about the tongue. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. So this passage is speaking of a controlled mouth, a mouth under control. So you may not like what God is saying here or describing here. He's saying God satisfies those who can control their mouths with good things. When you think about your mouth, you think about two things, your words and your appetites. Because I've heard some strange things come out of the mouths of people who say they love Jesus. You get an appetite for material things, for foods, and if you can't control those appetites, you'll never be satisfied, and you'll never experience this benefit. And that's why God gave us this Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek, because these languages are so descriptive. They describe what God's thoughts are. It's amazing. The word God chooses to place in that spot. I will satisfy your mouth with good things, but let me show you what kind of a mouth I will satisfy. That's what God is saying. A mouth under control. That's the mouth I will satisfy. So God satisfies our controlled mouth with good things. We can make a list of the good things that God provides us. Amen? In finances and the health he provides for us, and children that know and serve and love Jesus. Those are good things in our lives. Amen? It, it, it's, but there's one in particular I want to share with you. And here's, It's like the single man looking for a wife, and then he goes through the Scripture and looks at what God says about walking with him and a spouse. And he searches the Scripture, and he discovers some passages in, in Psalm 84. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So immediately he begins to know, I need to walk a certain way, and God will bless me. And then he looks in Proverbs 18 and says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. So he says, look at this. A wife is a good thing. And if I walk uprightly before God, he will not withhold a good thing from me. So I'm believing for good things, namely a spouse. So God desires we have a godly spouse 
one, as he told Adam, is comparable to us, and God will satisfy you with good things. That's principle number one. Number two, who satisfies? Who? You can go back and look at the list. Who forgives? Who's the only one who can free you from the guilt of your sin? God, who heals you? Who's the only one who can heal me? Even if you have a medical procedure, you thank God because behind the science and the ability to do the things they do today, that knowledge came from God. The ability of the human body to heal itself comes from God. God heals. God redeems. God crowns. God satisfies. God is the only one who can satisfy. You'll never be satisfied with anyone or anything other than God. Never. Prove it. Proverbs 14. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. Ecclesiastes. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. No matter how much you get, not going to satisfy you. Psalm 145. You, God, open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. There's your answer. Now watch. Nothing and no one can satisfy you except the Lord. If you're looking for a job, promotion, a raise, if you're looking for a spouse, a new car, or recognition, or affirmation, whatever you're looking for, it's temporal, and it cannot satisfy. Nothing temporary can satisfy Only the eternal can satisfy. It's the Lord. Because God, out of eternity, brought you into existence. You are an eternal being. And only the eternal God can satisfy you. You can be in tough circumstances and still be satisfied. You can be in a job or in a circumstance not satisfied by that work, yet still be satisfied. Because you have a vibrant, passionate Head over heels relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be sitting in an office you don't want to be in, yet you're satisfied because of your relationship with Jesus. Get rich quickly businesses perpetuate dissatisfaction because at the core, they capture you by saying, when you make money, you'll be satisfied. But you won't be satisfied. It's not money that satisfies you. I've encountered people who desire to be financially independent by a certain age. I met them in every place I pastored. And many of them have become successful. And even a few retired early. But they all went on to say when they retired early, the first year of my retirement was the worst year of my life. I was miserable. I was depressed. I was discouraged. I even sought a counselor. And they went on after that to go find something else to do because being retired stinks, okay? These were believers. These were people in business. Oh, no, I can't wait till I retire. Watch, okay? They cried to the Lord, and the Lord answered them, money doesn't satisfy. I'm the only one who satisfies. One of those successes went on to say, if your goal is to climb to the top, There's only one thing left to do when you reach your goal. Jump off. 
There's nowhere else to climb, he said. Do you know that you can never get to the top of God? No matter how much you climb, how long you climb, there'll always be more. He's the only one who can satisfy. So who satisfies? God satisfies. And he built you and wired you so that only he could fill that place in your life of satisfaction. Number three, what's the result of satisfaction? It says that the result of these benefits, who forgives, heals, redeems, and crowns, the last benefit reveals the result. Okay? Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And this next passage applies to each generation. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. Hmm. This is a generation that does not honor their parents. By and large, they are walking away from the values their parents gave them and saying, not for me. To some degree, we have to accept some of the responsibility as parents when that happens. Because perhaps we only stated to them what we wanted them to do, but not lived it ourselves. Perhaps we did not model what we're asking them to live. And they've walked away from what they considered to be a hypocritical walk with God. This statistic shocked me when I received it the other day. 80% of those raised in church will be disengaged from their church before they are 30. That's across culturally across the United States of America. 80% of the young people raised in American churches will be disengaged before they are 30 years of age. That's a huge statistic. And one of those statistics that attributable to that, listen, is that the decline in the American churches in the watering down of the gospel and biblical Christianity, which has been replaced by seeker-friendly churches that allow formerly sinful practices and those who practice such things to now become members of those churches. What happened? Okay. There's a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from their filthiness. This is a generation more than any previous generation that is calling the impure pure. They've taken absolutely the reverse of what the scriptural standards are and calling now what is evil good. It's okay. It's all right. It's called secularism. And we worship secularism, which means whatever I think is good is good. And if that book doesn't agree with it, you've got the problem. That's the attitude. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. I'm still in Proverbs 30. Pride, oh, how proud they are to tear out our foundations. In fact, they celebrate it when our foundations are being torn apart. And what built America and what built our values and what built our stable homes and families, they celebrate it at the highest levels of our government and go, yay, yay. 
There's a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives. Think of the sarcasm and the cynicism, how sharp words are today. Cutting, slicing, attacking. This gives you the outline of what causes this in a current generation. And then he goes on to say, the leech has two daughters. This is the outline. This is what causes it. The leech has two daughters, give and give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Four, never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire never says enough. So he gives four analogies of four things that are never satisfied. And he says, look at the context. Look at that chapter. He's speaking of a generation that is prideful, that is disrespectful to the values of their parents, that calls the impure pure, uses sharp words and sarcasm. Why? Here's the answer. They are never satisfied because their attitude is, give to me, give to me. And here's the word we would use to describe that attitude. One word, entitlement. It's all about me. Entitlement. Well, how does that work? Here's what entitlement is. You work hard. I'm entitled to what you made. I don't want to work hard. Just give me what I want to, so I can get by. Entitlement. God uses the term, and it's a strong word. He calls that leech. Trying to get your life from someone or something other than God. Instead of looking to the Lord from whence our help comes from, our strength comes from, our source is, he says, we're looking for it somewhere else. And here's what else he's saying. This generation is going to act like this. The reason they're acting like this is because they are never satisfied. And the reason they're never satisfied is because the only one who can satisfy is the Lord. So they'll try anything, everything, compromise everything and stubbornly refuse to go to the only one who can satisfy. Think of this generation and its physical maladies. That's how it's playing out. Now it manifests itself in physical distress. And I'll just address one of those. And I'm not trying to be insensitive to anyone who might suffer from this, but it's called CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome. Now, just two or three generations before this one, you know of anybody that suffered from chronic fatigue syndrome? No. You know, remember back on television and the day when some programming was still acceptable to watch, and you would watch the Waltons every night, a healthy dinner cooked by Olivia. What do they do after dinner? They sat on the porch or they sat around their table. And they interacted as a family. They shared their issues. They shared their stories. They shared their thoughts. They agreed. They disagreed until it got dark. And then they retired. And John Sr. was there and Olivia and Grandpa Zebulon and Grandma Esther. And no one scheduled soccer games to get to. There were no recitals to attend. Both spouses weren't working, not trying to pay off some huge mortgage. And I understand today that the kinds of pressures and needs that we have today require two incomes. But sometimes people do so because they're not satisfied with what they have. So they're willing to sacrifice time and energy for more money 
which is not going to satisfy. Now, here's the resulting benefit of his satisfaction. Our youth is renewed like the eagles. You're refreshed when you're satisfied by the one who created you. God is speaking, and he chooses to use the eagle as an analogy. And and the eagle was created by God. It did not evolve. God created this magnificent bird with a seven-foot wingspan. It can carry twice its weight. We have trouble carrying our own weight. And the eagle's eyes are the same size as our eyes, but four times more acute. Better eyesight. 2020. And when you see something at 20 feet, it looks like it should when it's 20 feet away. That's 2020 eyesight. That's perfect eyesight. I was blessed earlier in my life with having eyesight that was better than 2020. I could look beyond 20 feet and still look perfect in my eyesight. I was blessed. But then came the entry into the years of the 50s. <laughs> See? <laughs> An eagle's eyesight is four times better than ours. And the eagle's eyesight never dims, even when it's old. And an eagle will get a new coat of feathers every year. Eagles did not evolve. They came into existence through a brilliant creator by intelligent planning and design and execution. And here's what God said. Your youth will be renewed like the eagles. Do you know the number one cause of death among eagles? You know what it is? Unless you've studied this, you'll never imagine this. The number one cause of death among eagles is drowning. Why? Well, what are the videos you see of eagles when you watch? What do you, what do you see? Swooping down and grabbing a fish. Now, if they grab a fish that's too large or they miscalculate and they dive and get dragged into the water, see, they won't let the fish go. And they drown, wanting too much, unsatisfied. And God said, I will renew your youth like the eagles as long as you don't get consumed by your own desires beyond what I want to bless you with. And today we're watching people so full of greed for power, they will sell the values of the culture down the river in order to stay in power. They will break The rule of law in order to stay in power. That's the world we're living in because they're so desired for greed and power. Listen to me. We will drown like that eagle drowns, wanting more than we should have. It'll be the end. I will restore your youth like the eagles. So if you are a teen or young adult, you may not care about this promise. But for many people in the room today, this is good news. Your eyesight is worse. You need readers for what's printed. (laughs) Hearing starts to go. Hair falls out. One man was conversing with his friend in their family room one night. Their wives were in the kitchen. So he looks at his friend and he says, Last night my wife and I went to a fantastic restaurant. And his friend said, Well, what's the name of it? Where'd you go? And he said, I knew you were going to ask me that. It, It reminds me of a flower, usually red, with thorns on it, and his friend said, Rose! And the man said, That's right! 
Hey, Rose, what is the name of the restaurant we went out to last night? So your youth is renewed like the eagles if you're satisfied. (laughs) Number four, how do you receive satisfaction? It's by grace, through faith, through faith. And here's the key. As we looked at this passage of Scripture, God calls these blessings, five of them, benefits. When you go for a job interview, invariably the question will be asked, what are the benefits that come with this position? At Calvary Christian Center, I employ people, and we have to know some things about the law. You, you, you don't go into pastoring without getting more than a Bible education, because you've got a, little, a whole lot more than just your Bible. You've got to know about the law. You've got to know about health insurance principles, what we can do, what we can't do. And there are some benefits for full-time employees. Part-time employees don't qualify for benefits. And we've got issues with that now in our culture, don't we? Because there are people no longer being employed full-time. Therefore, benefits have been taken away. Benefits. It's interesting how God chose to use that word to describe blessings. Is it possible that benefits are for full-time followers of Jesus? Not part-timers. The Pharisees asked Jesus, tell us the work of God. They said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Listen to Jesus. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So these are the benefits, redemption, health, reigning in life, forgiveness, living satisfied lives. And these are, are these for full-time followers? Let me submit to you, you'll never be happy being a part-time follower of Jesus. You will never know complete satisfaction. You will be satisfied when you make a full-time investment. Go big! When you give him your all, you've read the advertisements, satisfaction guaranteed. So you go visit your local vacuum cleaner salesman. You look at all the different models and brands. You read the sign, satisfaction guaranteed. So a few days later, you come back and you say to the manager, I want you to know I'm not satisfied with your vacuum. And he says, well, which one did you buy? When did you purchase it? I didn't buy one. I'm just not satisfied with it. The reply from the manager is, the guarantee is for those who make the investment. And I wonder how many are not feeling satisfied with God or his church today. God says, when did you accept forgiveness from my son? Did you repent after you were forgiven and turn from your sins and leave them behind you? Did you commit all to follow him? Have you been baptized in water like he commanded? Do you pay tithes and bring them to his house? Do you consistently worship in my house? Are you serving using the giftings I gave you to be a blessing in the family of God? Is my son first 
in your life. No, I haven't given everything, uh, but I'm not satisfied. Let me prove from Scripture that you are satisfied when you give all. Isaiah 53. It's the most messianic chapter in all of the Old Testament. That means it contains direct prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus into the world, and Jesus fulfilled every messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. Then speaking of Jesus' ministry, it says, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. King James Version says the travail or the push or the work of his soul. What does that mean? Next verse tells us, verse 12, He poured out his soul unto death, unto death. That's when Jesus was satisfied. Jesus was satisfied when he said, it is finished. Feeding the 5,000 didn't feed, satisfy Jesus. Healing the sick didn't satisfy Jesus, although he was pleased to do it because he loves people. Raising the dead didn't satisfy Jesus. Preaching the great sermon on the mount did not satisfy Jesus. Jesus was satisfied when he gave all. Do you know when you'll be satisfied? When you give all. See, and it's not what you are accomplishing. It's with whom you are accomplishing it. It's built on relationship. Not what you're doing, with whom you are doing it. It's like the story of the man who loved to fish. (laughs) He'd catch fish by the multitude when he went out into the Gulf of Mexico. And they had the whole Gulf region around where he lived plotted. So much so that sport fishermen and reporters from the local media would go out with him because of his reputation for catching so many fish in the course of several hours every day. He was paid by many to be their fishing guide because he knew where the fish were. He could take you to where the fish were. And he'd catch them. Ice chests full of them. And then he would bring them back and fillet them and pan fry them. And you never ate anything like them in your life. Sea trout. Oh my goodness. Delicious. Well, all the fish that he caught on the innumerable times he went out into the Gulf of Mexico to fish. And Donna and I were privileged to go with Fred numerous times to fish very relaxing, fun. It was when his son, Doug, paid him a visit. They'd go fishing. Same spot, same lures, same weather. Mattered not to Fred if they filled the ice chests. At the end of the day, even if it wasn't the best day he'd ever had, Dad didn't care much about that. It was the best day ever for him because he got to fish with his son. It's relationships. It's not about what you do. It's not about all that you accomplish. It's about with whom you do it. Then you'll be satisfied because you're coming alongside the one who planned your life from before the foundations of the world. Until you settle down and look at him, you'll never be satisfied. 